This morning we're going to continue with the series that we've been on for a number of weeks. And what, I was going to sh- what I'm going to share this morning, I was actually going to preach a few weeks ago before I went to Mexico. But the Lord had other plans, and I'm okay with that because I like his plans. But I believe that the message that he's put in my heart a few weeks ago is for today. And I believe it's, I, I know I say this a lot, but I really believe it today. I'm sure I believe it the last time too, but this is one of those messages that will change your life if you apply it. Now we've been talking about the, the simple gospel. Based out of the scripture of Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And I think it was last week when Greg was sharing out of this verse, and he said we can substitute that word power for the word grace. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the grace of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about his amazing grace that's been made available through the gospel. Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did, his grace has been made, his grace has been made available to us, which is power. And I'm going to give you a definition for grace Grace is the power and the desire to do God's will. It is the power and desire to do God's will. To give you a scripture reference for that, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul says, I am who I am by the grace of God. And I've worked harder than all the others because of the grace of God with me. So I believe it's the grace of God that he gives us, that enables us to do what he's called us to do. He doesn't just tell us to do something and then expect us to do it within our own power. He tells us to do something. He gives us a command, and then he gives us the ability and the desire to fulfill what he's called us to do. And see, that right there is the difference between a relationship with Jesus Christ and religion. Because see, religion gives you a bunch of commands and rules, but you have to work them out in your own strength. But the gospel of Jesus Christ brings freedom, and it gives us the grace to do what he's called us to do. Amen? You know, the gospel is something to be excited about. It's not, you know, when I used to, when I was growing up and I went to church, it, it must have been an unspoken rule that no one ever told me about, but I saw its manifestation because nobody smiles at church. I mean, walk into church and people would be very somber and serious and even singing the hymns and everything, everybody was serious and, and I guess you weren't allowed to smile, you might have gotten in trouble or something, but this is something to be excited about. I mean, I'm excited about Jesus and what he's doing in my life and what he's done in my life. And I'm excited about what he's doing in Meg's life because Meg is allowing him to change her. Amen? Amen. 
I love the simple gospel message because his grace empowers us to love people beyond what is humanly impossible. Check this out from Paul. Are they servants of Christ? Out of 2 Corinthians 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I face danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from the men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now, to Paul, here the Apostle Paul, is talking about the trials and the challenges he's been going through. What was he doing as he was enduring these things, these, these challenges? He was sharing the gospel. He was taking the good news of Jesus to these people, to people all over. And as he was doing that, he encountered these kinds of hardships. As a matter of fact, the very people that he was taking the gospel to were many of the ones who were responsible for the hardships that he was enduring. He said five times the Jewish leaders had him whipped 39 stripes or 39 lashes, five different times. He was stoned. And that's not talking about smoking weed. He was hit, you know, where they pick up rocks and they throw them and hit you upside the head, and, and he was left for dead. I mean, they, killed, they tried to kill him, thought they did kill him, but God raised him up. So he went through all these hardships, and there was even a time when he was in the church. I believe it was in the church at Ephesus, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. And the prophet spoke to him and said, here's what's going to happen to you, Paul. If you go to such and such a place, they're going to bind you and they're going to abuse you. And so they were, in other words, it was a warning from the Holy Spirit. Here's what's going to happen if you go to this place. And so the people, the Christians were saying, Paul, please don't go. Please don't go. And he says, why are you guys breaking my heart? Not only am I willing to go there and to suffer, but I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. So even though Paul was warned that if you go here, this is what's going to happen to you. And see, I think if we heard that, we would think that was a warning from the Holy Spirit to not go there. I know I probably would. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for letting me know. But Paul was so overcome and overwhelmed and so saturated with the love of God that it was that love of God that compelled him to take the gospel to people that he knew were going to harm him. The gospel, the grace of God, gives us the ability to supernaturally love people that we would otherwise not be able to. And check this out, Romans 9, 1 through 3, this is Paul again. He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. So he's saying, what I'm about to say is true, beyond truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness, and Jesus is my witness. So he's about to say something pretty profound. In other words, he's not just about to exaggerate something. He's about to say a truth 
that he needed to confirm it with the Holy Spirit and Jesus so that the people would believe it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Check this out. I would be willing to be forever cursed or cut off from Christ if that would save them. The very people that were trying to kill Paul, he was so consumed with the love of God that he wanted to take the love of God. He wanted them to get saved. That he said, even if, it, if I could be cut off for them to be grafted in, I'd be willing to do that so they can be saved. In other words, my paraphrase, I would be willing to give up my salvation and go to hell if that would mean they would get saved. Now, isn't that crazy? I mean, is that crazy or not? Am I the only one that thinks that? Would you be willing to give up your salvation? I mean, especially to your enemies, people who hate you, people who are trying to kill you. And I remember when I, when I come across this verse, I think, Paul, you are crazy. There's no way nobody's getting my salvation. This is mine. And I didn't understand. I said, God, I don't understand that. That didn't make sense. Because you remember in earlier places, Paul said he was a man who was very, uh, very gifted, very accomplished in the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he kept all the rules and was just, he was a powerful leader, teacher, all that stuff. And he said, I count all of that as horse dung in comparison of knowing Jesus Christ. In other words, all the stuff is garbage, rubble. I want to know him. He was consumed with passion, and com- or not compassion, but passion for Jesus. This man loved Jesus so much that he was willing to take the love and the gospel of Jesus to whosoever would listen to. And many of those people tried to kill him. And then he says right here, if it would even mean that I could be, I'd be cut off from Jesus so that they can be saved, I'm willing to do that. And I had a hard time with that. And I said, Lord, I don't understand this. That doesn't make sense to me. Because I want to love you like I say Paul loves you, but man, I, I don't know if I could ever get to that point. And here's what the Lord showed me. He said, doesn't this remind you of somebody else? I'm like, what do you mean? What did Jesus do? Remember, Jesus was cut off, separated from God so that you and I would be saved. Remember that? He became sin. The sin of our sin was put on him. God had to turn his back from Jesus. Jesus became a curse, separated from God, so that you and I could be saved. And here's what the Lord showed me. Paul was so in love with Jesus, become consumed by the love of Jesus, that he became the love of God. He became God's love. See, we're not called to try to love people. We're called to be the love of God. And God's love in us will love people. What does the Bible say that God is? God is love. Right? Is the Holy Spirit God? Not a, not, not a trick question. Is the Holy Spirit God? So would you say that the Holy Spirit is love? Where does the Holy Spirit live inside of if you're a Christian? He lives inside of you, right? So love lives inside of you, right? Hmm. 
So what do you think he wants to do? God is love. He lives inside of you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, it doesn't make sense. If you say you love God and know God but don't love people, then you don't know God, and you don't love God, and God's not in you. Because if, you, if God is in you and he's loved, then you're going to love people. Right? No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. If we love one another, God abides in us. Here's how we know God abides in us. We love one another. Are you with me so far? And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. I love the gospel message because his grace empowers us to love people supernaturally. And we see basically that Paul was living out what was inside of him. And so when he said, I would even be willing to be cut off so that they might be saved, he was expressing the love of Jesus. And we see by his lifestyle and his actions that he truly meant that because he was willing to lay down his life for the very people who were trying to kill him. Jesus was killed by the very people that he came to save. Amen? So what does this have to do with me? I love the simple gospel because his grace enables me to walk in the power of true from the heart forgiveness, which means I don't have to be a slave to bitterness and resentment. The power of the gospel, the grace of God, gives me the ability to experience true from the heart forgiveness. And therefore, I do not have to be a slave to resentment and bitterness, but I get to walk in freedom because it's who I am. Because of who's in me. Freedom. See, this is what we can be excited about. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Amen. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm good with that. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Okay. But I say to you, you know, if he would have stopped right there, we would have been good with that. But then Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you love those who love you, how are you different from those who aren't even Christians? I mean, he says, don't even the Gentiles do that. 
And herein is, a, is an amazing thing. Jesus is saying, here is how you are different. He didn't say, here's how you need to try to be different. We need to try to love your enemies. Come on, guys, just try a little harder. Come on, please. Just try. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say try. He says, but I say to you, love. How can we do that? Because his love is in us. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. So those of you who have heard it, it's okay. And the reason why I share this situation, because it was one of the most difficult situations I've been through. And that's an understatement, saying difficult. It was extremely difficult. But I served with a friend down in Chandler. His name was Tom Wright, and he had a ministry to prisoners or ex-prisoners. And in other words, when they got out of prison, he'd take them in, teach them a trade, how to build cabinets, how to build houses, that kind of thing, and teach them, you know, life and life skills. Uh, And I served with him for, I think, six years, a number of years, and I enjoyed serving him. I love working with men like that. And I just love this man because his heart was so for these men. I mean, this dude was crazy. And it, it was, the interesting thing was, is first of all, he took, he would take when people would, men in prison would hear about his ministry, they would write to him and say, hey, when I get out, can I have a place that you're, can I come to your place? And he would say, sure, we have an open space, or we have a couple open spaces, so you're welcome to come. So he would take anybody. And then I remember he got a letter because he wanted me, to, he asked me to read it. He says, read this, what do you think? And it was a letter from a man who was a convicted uh, sex offender. And he was asking, can I come to your place? And Tom was asking me, what do you think? Uh, sounds, sounds fine to me. He's like, good, because I already decided. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, he invited this man, allowed him to come. And then when, it was like the floodgates opened. Because when he allowed him to come, because if you don't know this, those who are convicted sex offenders have it very rough because they have to, when they get out of prison, they have to stay, stay in certain locations. They can't just live anywhere because they have to stay a certain um, distance from schools and all this kind of stuff, and so they're very limited. So a lot of them don't have legal places to live, so they live illegally. And so when they found out there was a ministry that would take them in, once he said yes to them, because it was a high turnover rate with the men that he invited, at, later on, all of his guys that he had in his ministry were all ex- all sex offenders, convicted sex offenders. And so you can imagine he received a lot of persecution, a lot of animosity towards him because he was helping these people, these people or those people. And the interesting thing is the people he received the persecution from mostly were who? Yep. Or people who claim to be Christians, people who go to church, And that blew me away. The people who were Christians or who claimed to know Jesus, they were the ones who were concerned about this man and his ministry. Because it's like, these people are dangerous. These people, these people, these people, they need to not be here. Okay, where else can they be? I don't care as long as they're not here. That's pretty much people's attitude. As long as I don't have to deal with the situation, I'm okay. 
Let somebody else deal with it. Anyway, so these are the kind of men that he had in his ministry. And Tom loved these men, and they were like brothers to me. I mean, they, it, was, it, was a, it was an amazing time. Well, then later on, Tom got really sick, real, real ill, pancreatic cancer, and he was dying. And I reluctantly, you know, Tom loved these men. He loved this ministry, and he was a, he was a legitimate 501c3. And he did the bare minimum to keep that 501c3 status. And so he had his board, and I agreed because someone resigned. So I agreed reluctantly to be on his board, and I ended up becoming the vice president, the VP. And because I really didn't want that responsibility, but if it helped him, then I was willing to do it. Well, when Tom became very ill and sick, he was unable to function. He was in bed, you know, bedridden and mostly incoherent. But before he went to that, that phase, he made clear to us what his wishes were. His wife knew exactly what he wanted. I knew exactly what he wanted with the ministry. So my job, I took it on my job to fulfill his wishes with that ministry. Well, as he was dying, he had a couple of children. He had three children. One died tragically, but the other two who didn't like this ministry, hated this ministry, and didn't have a good relationship with their dad. And I learned over the years, probably most of it was because he was not a good father. I mean, he shared things that he when, he, when his kids were younger, he was very abusive, all that kind of stuff. But after he became a Christian as an adult, later adult, his kids were grown, he wanted to... Um, what do you call it, reconcile with them and that kind of thing and all that. But they, for the most part, weren't having any part of that. Well, when all of a sudden he was dying and they got wind of that and they thought there was a lot of money in this ministry because he had a lot of property. So they apparently saw money. And I heard this from the relatives of these, of these, these people. Said, this is how they are. It's all about the money, et cetera, et cetera, which I didn't care about except for I was caught in the middle of this because as Tom was dying, and remember, I was the VP. Well, guess who became the president? Yours truly. I became the president, so I was responsible in charge. And because Tom didn't do everything right as far as what you do with a legitimate 501c3 is the the members of the board, there's insurance to protect them so that if someone sues that ministry, that the board members aren't personally liable, that kind of thing. Well, it wasn't necessarily all set up that way with this ministry. So when you were signing your name as being the president, that kind of thing, your name was on that. Your resources were backed by that. So anyway, so they came in trying to take over. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Adult Protective Services. And Rose got a call too. Rose was Tom's wife. And I, was be, I had been accused. Someone called in on me and said that I was taking advantage of this man. And abusing him. And so I was being accused by DHS. Or, yes, DHS. I never had that happen before. Pretty scary situation. I get a call from this guy who wasn't smiling. He wasn't happy. And he said, Mr. Ellis, this is so-and-so. And I thought, oh, yeah, how may I help you? I thought he was calling me on behalf of somebody else. But he's like, you're the man. You're the one. It's like, oh, wow. So I was being accused of taking advantage of my close friend. And, and then I was in a court battle over the will and everything, so I was caught in the middle of this whirlwind. And I can say that this was the most stressful time in my whole life up to this point, the most stressful. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night 
And you, you finally get yourself to sleep, but then you wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and then the tape recorder starts playing, and then you can't go back to sleep because all, you're tossing and turning because all you can think is of, of the situation. And then I can also say this was the most resentful and angry I've ever been towards individuals. I mean, I literally wanted to hurt people physically. Now I'm a Christian. I'm a minister here. I'm not the, I wasn't a senior pastor at that time, which is probably good, because for me to have these feelings to be the senior pastor wouldn't be okay, would it? But I was working here at New Covenant Fellowship, and I was angry. I hated these people. I was scared, because if things went a certain way, I could lose everything personally as far as financially. And then I was being accused and I was only doing the right thing. And I was being accused. And so all this stuff, so I was in the middle of all this. And I remember the Lord asking me, before the whirlwind hit, before the bottom fell out, and I'm sure he, he's smart, so he knew to ask me before. But before all that stuff happened, he said, will you stay in this situation? Because as Tom was dying and, and the ministry was kind of shaky, people who were involved in the ministry were kind of resigning, saying, I'm out of here, see ya. And matter of fact, I, had my, I was going to a meeting, and I had my resignation. I was about to turn it in and say, I'm done. And I remember the Lord asking me, will you be willing to stay in this situation and allow me to work through you? I'm like, sure, Lord. Of course I will. <laughs> the perfect setup. So then anyway, then all the stuff happens. And I'm like, I'm out of here. And the Lord said, remember what you, you said. I'm like, can we talk about that? Can we renegotiate? And I was so angry. I mean angry. Anybody ever been angry before? I know you, you have people that you know who have been angry. But I was extremely angry, stressed out, resentful. And I remember I was walking out of my bedroom to the kitchen and I passed the dining room, and the Holy Spirit asked me a question. And he said, are you ready to, are you ready to allow me to help you? And I said, nope. Because I knew what that meant. See, what had happened was that anger and that resentment, it had started becoming a part of me. And in a weird way, I started feeding on it and almost liking it. And in other words, it was like fuel, an emotional fuel. And the Holy Spirit said, are you ready for me to help you? I said, "Mm mm-mm. Now, I didn't say that vocally, but inside, because I wanted to hold on to this. But then I realized, okay, I don't don't know if the Holy Spirit asked me this question, but I had this thought. And so how's that working for you? You know, this anger, this resentment, everything, how's that working for you? Oh, it's going great. I can't sleep at night. I'm stressed out. You know, life is good. And I said, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I went in my bedroom, grabbed my Bible, and I turned to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. That's where he told me to turn. He said, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And I knew exactly who he was talking about. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. 
Now, we all know this verse. We've heard it before. And it's like, okay, I know what the Bible says. I have these enemies. I have these people that I literally hate. In my, in my soul, I hated them because of what they were putting me through. Now, I wouldn't admit that to anybody, but inside, I hated them. And you know, when it says pray for them, I was like, Lord, I don't mind them going to hell. I don't. I'd be happy to hold the door open for them. I was pretty angry. Pray for them. I'll pray for them, all right. So I didn't know what, what do I do with this? And I've read that scripture many times before. How many of you have read that scripture before? Anybody? We know it's there. Okay, I'll try to love them. You know, hold tight, count the 10, whatever it takes. But that's not what he was saying. Basically, what I believe he was saying was, I have grace for you to receive for them. Are you willing to take it? No, I don't want the grace. That's what I was saying before. But then I said, yes, Lord, I do want the grace. I want your grace. You know, it's interesting because in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, see to it that no one becomes short, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. See to it that no one comes short or resist the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and defile many. When we get into a situation, there is grace made available for us. If we don't accept that grace, then guess what? We can become bitter and defile the people around us. If I had continued in that situation, guess who would have suffered besides me? My wife and my kids. Many around you being defiled. Bitterness springing up in my heart. See, it was already taking root. Bitterness was definitely becoming one of my friends or my companions. I won't say friend, but a companion. And so he said, are you ready to receive my grace? And I said, yes, Lord, I am. And then he showed me what to do right here. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then he says, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. He said, right now, the enemy, you have allowed the enemy to have a trigger in your soul. Every time I think of that situation, I get angry, anxious, and resentful. And my whole soul is taken captive because of, the pe- because of my feelings towards these people. He said, we need to turn that around and use that as a trigger. In other words, whenever you think about these people or this situation, pray for them. Bless them. I'm like, seriously? So in other words, going about my day, all of a sudden I think about the situation. Father, I just pray for so-and-so. I pray that you bless them, love them. You know, that was, that was the excitement and the extent of my prayer. And I'll do that daily. God bless so-and-so. God helps so-and-so. God. And then he said, I want you to pray for them like you'd want someone to pray for you if the situation was reversed. So I started praying for them, asking the Holy Spirit to help me. And then day by day by day went by, and I found myself praying and crying out to them, crying out, saying, Father, I pray that they would become overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, that they would realize the destiny and the hope and the purpose that you have for them, and I pray that they would be suffocated by your love for them, that they would understand just how much you love them. 
And it got to the point that I would cry out, and literally tears crying, for these people to come to know Jesus like I knew him. I was crying out, God, have mercy on them. Save them. Now, I didn't know if they were saved or not, if they considered themselves Christians or not. I didn't know that. And I really didn't care at the time. But I say, God, have mercy on them. Set them free. Let them fulfill the destiny and the calling that you have for them. And guess what? It wasn't make, it wasn't pretend. My heart was fully engaged in praying for them and their salvation. And guess what happened? God tricked me. I actually started loving these people. When I would think of them, I wouldn't get resentful and tighten up in my gut. I'd pray for them. But I'd just pray for the daughter or the son and just pray whatever the Holy Spirit would put on my heart to pray. I was free. I'd wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom or whatever. If I thought about them, I'd pray for them and fall right back asleep. I was free inside. I mean, literally free to where I was so excited. See, it was this, the circumstances were still going on. Everything didn't stop and go away. I was still having, you know, the court situation, the, the child protective or adult protective, all that stuff was still swirling around. So the circumstances hadn't changed. But inside I had changed. I was experiencing freedom and the love of God like I never had before in my entire life. Now, why, did I, why was I able to experience that? Because I had never gone through a trial so treacherous in my life. And I became so overwhelmingly in love with Jesus to a higher level that I felt like I got saved all over again. I was so in love with him. I'm like, dude, was I even saved yesterday? This is awesome. Jesus, you're real. I mean, my worship experience just went through the roof. And then guess what happened later? The adult services, we were exonerated. They realized that the charges were false. The court battle, we won that. That all went away. And my job was to make sure, Tom's wishes were to make sure that his ministry got assimilated by another ministry, a bigger ministry that ministered to, to sex offenders. And that happened. So that process happened. So the men were taken care of because if these other people would have got a hold of the ministry, they'd have been kicked out on the street. But even to this day, those men are still on the property, living in peace, trying to allow their lives to be changed by the gospel. And my heart is free. And, and because I've gone through that situation... When I go through other situations where people get on my nerves or people become my enemies or whatever the case is, I know what to do so I don't have to be a prisoner. And see, what I get excited about is this gospel is real. It's not just about agreeing with some stuff written in the Bible. It's about realizing that the grace of God has been made available for me to embrace so I can be free to share the gospel with other people who are in bondage. Do you know how many people are in bondage to bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, all that kind of stuff, hopelessness, depression, and we have the answer. And his name is Jesus.
If your Christianity only works when everything is nice and calm and when you have no enemies, then you have not been impacted by the true gospel. Or you are not letting the gospel, the power of God, have its effect in your life. See, a lot of us, our Christianity works when everything's nice and peaceful like right now. On Sunday morning between 10 and 12, I'm good. But Monday through Saturday, or when, when someone's attacking me, or I get crossways with a coworker or somebody, then how's that gospel going to affect you then? The reason why I love to worship him, worshiping is my favorite activity, is because he's done so much in my life. He is so real. Because I know what it feels like to hate and to be in bondage to that, and I know what it feels like to be free and to really love my enemy. Not just saying that as a cliche, but to really love my enemy. Now, some of you are saying, well, my situation's a whole lot worse than that. You don't understand my situation. Your situation may be a whole lot worse than what I went through. And that's not the issue. Every circumstance and situation, there's grace for. If your, if your situation is like a 10, like way, way out there, then guess how much grace there is available. Actually, there's more than enough. There's not just enough grace to get by, but there's enough grace and there's more to overflow. So no matter how deep the pit you feel like you're in, his grace is that much deeper. And the amazing thing is, you know, after that, when I was going through that circumstance, I hated it, wish I could get out of it and everything. But looking back on it, I am so glad that I went through that circumstance. I am so glad because I can mark that as a time when Jesus became so real to me. When my love relationship with him just went off the charts because it's like I'm in this pit, I'm in this dungeon or whatever, and he came right in there with me and we walked through it together. And it's like, Jesus, you are real. You are so real. And if you, not and if, but when, if and when you go through a hardship, he's waiting for you to invite him into that situation with his grace so he can walk you through it and reveal himself to you and to the people around you. But will you let him? Some people come to church they come to church here or they go to church wherever, and they're good until they get crossways with somebody. And where they were called to this particular church, and then the situation happens, and then all of a sudden they're called to a different church. And we're surprised when we encounter challenges with people in church. We're shocked. <gasps> I can't believe it. I'm going to tell you guys something. If you go to a church and you don't encounter any problems with the people, run. Because they ain't people. They're either aliens or they're robots. Because when you come together with any one person, let alone a whole group of people, you will have conflict. You will. 
And he's given us grace to not just skirt over that conflict, but to walk through it and let God have his way in us and work through the process, work the process and allow his process to work through us so that when we come out the other side, we're like, oh my goodness, God, you are amazing. And then the people around us see the process. They see how you are allowing his grace to work in you. Then it gives them hope and encouragement. Say, you know what? I think that'll work for me too. God, will your grace work for me too? And he says, it absolutely will. Absolutely will. Now, you know, from my perspective, me being the pastor, some of you could be thinking, you're thinking about my situation as you're talking about this. And you think that your situation is the only situation that's going on. Well, I can tell you as a pastor, that ain't so. There are all kinds of situations that you have no idea about, but I do. And basically, it's people dealing with life. And, you know, didn't the Bible say, do not be surprised by these fiery ordeals or something like that? Scripture just popped in my head. Do not be surprised. Well, guess what? We get surprised. I can't believe she did that to me. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe. Believe it. But it's like, what are we going to do about it? We get the opportunity to experience his grace on a level that we never had before. And then we can share the gospel of hope. Because when we've experienced that reality and that freedom, then guess what we can't wait to do? Can't wait to share it. But if my Christianity is just a nice thing that I agree with, why am I going to be excited about going out there and telling somebody else about it? And being afraid that they're going to laugh at me or spit in my face or whatever. But when I experience what I've experienced, I can't help but tell. See, I can't help. I don't share because I have to or because it's the duty of a good Christian. I can't help it. I want to. I'm compelled by his love because of what he's done for me. And I just want other people to experience it. And as a pastor, I want you to experience his grace. Trials will come. Circumstances and situations with people will come. Challenges will come. But his grace is here, and it's real, and it will make a difference in our lives.